Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Hi, I'm Wayne Darbo, and I'm pastor here at St. James, and I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word this week from Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Hear God's Word. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for its call in our lives, its hope, its life, its freedom. And God, we pray your spirit would speak to us this morning as we hear not only from your word, but from your spirit into our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to November. I almost want to congratulate you for making your way through the first 10 months of the year. And two months from today, at least the day that this is posted and most of us are engaged in worship, we will inaugurate a new year. I know. I've heard from many of you. You can't wait. You can't wait to get through 2020 and to begin a new year because it certainly can't be worse, right? And yet, I am so proud of you because last night you did something so courageous. You did something so brave. You did something so awe-inspiring that you stood up and with all the faith in you, You looked time square in the face, at least your clock, and you turned it back. You extended the year. You added a whole hour to 2020. You know, as we began this year, I was actually excited for it. I was excited because 2020 isn't just the number of the year, but it has a double meaning. It has a meaning related to vision that when we have 2020 vision, we see more clearly. We have a greater vision. And I began the year wondering, will this year allow us to see with greater clarity and with greater vision? And in reflecting on that, I think it has, just not in the ways that any of us wanted or asked for. But isn't that the way it is with life? I mean, I know in my life I've discovered it's not in the easy times, but in the challenging times where we find greater clarity. It's in years like this. It's in seasons like this. It's in times like this, challenging times like this, that we have greater clarity of what's really important, of what is ultimate, even what is the secret of life. 
And few people can introduce us into that topic like Jack Palance in his role as that crusty old cowboy, Curly, in that classic movie, City Slickers. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. One thing. See, the Apostle Paul agrees. But the Apostle Paul doesn't leave us hanging about what that one thing is that is the secret of life. You see, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, and they're experiencing challenging times. The Christians there were experiencing a great deal of uncertainty, as was Paul. Paul was in prison for his faith, experiencing challenging time and definitely uncertainty about his future. But Paul shows us what that secret of life is. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. This one thing I do, this one thing I do, I, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Today, I want to unpack that in two different ways that are important in how we live our lives in times like this. Because Paul is giving us the heart of his message in Philippians. You see, before Paul takes on anything, he recognizes that he has been taken hold of. Paul says, I take hold of that. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. See, he recognizes before he took hold of God, before he took hold of all that Jesus offers, that God had already taken hold of him. And if that hadn't been clear enough, in verse 14, he says, I, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to take hold of the goal to win the prize for which God has already accomplished for me called me to through Christ Jesus. See, that's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. Paul is saying, God's got you. We see that in in all that Jesus has said as well. And we see that in Jesus' other disciples. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples in 1 John 4, verse 10, he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul had said it in other places in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting God, thumbing our nose at God, going our own way, Christ died for us. John emphasizes it again in 1 John 4, again this time, verse 19, where he says, We love because he first loved us. You see, the good news of the gospel is that God's got you. God has you. 
And this is important for so many reasons. This is important on so many levels. One of the ways it's so important is that there are many of us who say, well, God might love other people. That God might love people, but God doesn't love me. That I'm not worthy of God's love. And that's the whole point of the gospel, though, isn't it? That God loves us. None of us are worthy. We all fall short. But God doesn't love us because we're worthy. We discover that we are worthy because God loves us. And there's, there are many ways to illustrate this. I think one of the most powerful ways to illustrate this is one of the most powerful stories ever told. And Jesus happened to be the one that told this story. It's the story that's often called the, the parable of the prodigal son. And, and we often hear that word prodigal and we think the word prodigal must mean wayward, but it actually means extravagant because, because the story is about a father and his two sons. And many of you have heard this story and I want to invite you to hear it in a fresh way because the youngest son comes to this father and he just rejects him in broad daylight in front of everybody. He says, I, essentially, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Give me what's coming to me. And then when the father gives it to him, he says, I'm getting as far away. The son says, I'm getting as far away from here as I can get. And he goes to a far off country and he spends his father's wealth on, in all kinds of ways that would shame the father, that would frustrate the father, that would sadden the father, that, that would distance him from the father. And when he spends all of his resources, when he comes to the end of his resources, Luke tells us that Jesus says that he came to the end of himself and he decided to go back to his father. But he was afraid. He was afraid about how his father might condemn him. He was afraid about how his father might reject him. He was afraid because of how his father would look at him maybe as one who is unworthy. And, but he went back anyway, wondering if his father was sitting on the porch, tapping his toe, waiting for the opportunity to ream his son out. But what does the father do? When, he, when the son is still a long way off, Jesus said, the father got up and again in broad daylight, he ran toward his son. He threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. He put a robe on him. He put sandals on his feet. He put the family ring on his finger. He called everybody else. Hey, let's gather everybody and let's celebrate for this son of mine, this child of mine was lost, but is found. He was dead, but now he is alive. You see, that's the essence of the gospel. Notice that he, that the father didn't accept him because he repented, but the son repented because the father accepted him. That's what the apostle Paul is saying here, that whatever we take hold of, we take hold of because he has already taken hold of us. God's got you. And so how do we respond to this gospel? How do we respond to this good news? And Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already taken hold of me. In fact, twice he uses this phrase, this word, press on. 
He says in verse 14, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That, that word press is, an, is a word that has all kinds of intensity to it. It's translated other places in the New Testament as persecute. That when Christians were persecuted for following Jesus, they were pressed. But here Paul is saying, I press on. And maybe the best way to illustrate that is is with the idea of a light bulb. That when we turn on a light in a light bulb, the light is diffused. It, It spreads out and it goes in all kinds of different directions and it gives light to the whole room. But if we were to press all that light into a light bulb, into a single stream, much like the sunlight coming through a magnifying glass and burning a hole because of the intensity of that light, we get the idea of what Paul is saying in I press on. Paul is saying to have a laser focus on Jesus, to have a a laser focus on the one who is ultimate. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that as we live this out with the laser focus on Jesus, we experience new levels of freedom, we experience new levels of effectiveness, and we experience new levels of power in our lives. And that's what we need in times like this. First, we experience new levels of freedom. When Paul says that, that this one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a race analogy. And imagine yourself in a running race. You, you get down in the starting blocks and the starter is about ready to shoot the gun off. And the starter says, okay, runners, get ready to run. And when this gun goes off, I want you to run toward the finish lines. There are multiple finish lines in multiple different directions. There's a finish line over there. There's a finish line over here. There's a finish line over there. There's a finish line over there. Ready, set, go. Well, a race like that would be crazy. I mean, it would just be chaos. It would lead to guilt and anxiety and all kinds of challenges and problems. Who would run a race like that. And yet, if we're honest, many of us live our lives like that, running toward different finish lines simultaneously, trying to cross different finish lines that send us in different directions at the same time. Paul is saying, no, the secret of life is being focused, having a laser focus on what is ultimate having a laser focus on following Jesus. And you know what that brings? It brings freedom. We're able to relax. Instead of trying to move in multiple directions at the same time, our focus is on Jesus and all that he brings. That he frees us from our guilt. He frees us from our anxiety. That's why Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That's what Jesus offers us. You see, the two greatest deterrents to living fully in the present is the guilt from our past and the anxiety we feel of our future. But you see, Jesus came 
to secure our past. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. You are forgiven. The Bible tells us that our sins are as far removed from God as the East is from the West, that he remembers them no more. And if God no longer remembers our sin, if he chooses not to remember our sin, that if we are freed and forgiven from our past, then why do we hold on to it in ways that hinder living fully in the present? But the other hindrance that we experience in our lives is, is anxiety about the future. You see, most fear and anxiety that people experience is about the future. And just as the cross of Christ frees us from our past, the resurrection of Jesus frees us for our future. He secures our future that our future is sure and secure, and we can be confident in that, that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our challenges are, no matter what we face, we can remain sure and secure that our future is clear, which frees us to live fully in the present. We can live with a new freedom when our primary focus is on following Jesus. But it also leads uh, to greater effectiveness. Many people over my pastoral ministry have said, well, well, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make Jesus a priority, but I have a lot of different priorities in my life. And I have some priorities that are great priorities that are really primary. I don't want anything to be above this. Sometimes people say, well, my family is my top priority. And I can't have anything that's a greater priority than my family. Others will say, well, my, financial, my finances and my financial security is my top priority. Others might say my job is my top priority. Others might say my relationships. And see, here's the reality. All of those things are good. All of those things are actually gifts from God. And so they're wonderful to have in our lives. But none of those things can be ultimate because every one of those things can be lost. And that's something that we've experienced in this pandemic and in this year. But when we make Jesus primary, all of those things fall into their rightful place. We see them more clearly. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Jesus just as I believe in the sun that rises in the morning. Because not only do I see the sun, I see everything else in its proper light because of it. And in the same way, when Jesus is primary, we see all of those other wonderful gifts from God in their proper light. And here's the good news. We will never lose Jesus. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can never lose who we have in Jesus. And we, can, we live in that greater power. We live in that greater effectiveness. Because if I care about my family, if I want to make that a priority, then the greatest thing I can do for my family is follow Jesus. When I follow Jesus and make him my first priority, I become a better husband. I become a better father. I become a better child. 
if, if my priority is my job or my resources, then the best way I can pursue those and enjoy those is by having Jesus as primary in my life. You see, the greatest thing we can do for those things that matter in our lives most is give our lives and trust Jesus with our lives as primary. And lastly, is this gift of his power. You see, we can't do this on our own. When Paul says that I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus takes hold of us, that, that we, he pursues the goal strenuously, he's, he's recognizing that that doesn't come from our own power. It comes from the power of God through Jesus. That in Colossians, maybe in the very next page in your Bible, Colossians 1 Verse 29, he says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The Christian life is lived by the power of God. You see, David saying about this. David, in the Psalms, in Psalm 27, he says, One thing, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We sing a similar song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So as we come to the table, I want to ask you, what is primary in your life? I want to ask if you will commit your life to Jesus today and make him primary. And as we come to this table, maybe it's recommitting your life to Jesus today and saying, Jesus, I want to press on to take hold of that for which you have taken hold of me. For you see, as we take hold of the bread, and as we take hold of this cup, we recognize we only do so because he has already taken hold of us. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you that as we come to this table, we're reminded that you take hold of us. And so Lord, we approach the table humbly as we take hold of you in response. Asking Lord that you would renew our lives today as we commit and recommit ourselves to you. Help us to internalize the reality of your love and then to live fully 
for you. In Jesus' name, amen. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjprez.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.